This episode is sponsored by Paleo Valley. Paleo Valley's meat sticks have been a lifesaver during this hot summer. Since they're shelf stable, I always have three Paleo Valley meat sticks in my bag at all times. It's also been perfect for my boys' lunch boxes. I love Paleo Valley's grass finished beef sticks and pasture raised turkey sticks because they support US family farmers that focus on regenerative agriculture. These meat sticks are from animals that have never been fed grains, soy, corn, or GMOs and have never been given antibiotics. The spices in these meat sticks are also 100% organic. The sticks come in five different flavors, and my favorite is the original beef stick, and my boys love the teriyaki beef sticks and the original pasture raised turkey stick. Paleo Valley's meat sticks are a perfect snack and, frankly, a great value without skimping on quality. Each stick is about $2 with our discount code, and it comes in a 10 pack bag. Make sure to support this podcast and head over to paleovalley.comslash CATG and use code CATG to get 15% off your first order. Thanks for listening and supporting the Cutting Against the Grain podcast. Laura and I are just going to be talking really candid. This is what this podcast is all about. It's one thing to say, I want to eat something else that's not meat. It's a whole other thing to say, you need to eat something else that's not meat. If you notice that you're jumping from diet to diet, at a certain point, you have to wonder the only common denominator is me. Get outside, go for a walk, yeah. get some vitamin D, breathe yeah. some fresh air, and stay happy and healthy and, and take care of yourselves. Let's just have some real talk. <laughs> Welcome to the Cutting Against the Grain podcast. Welcome back to the Cutting Against the Grain podcast. My name is Laura Spath, and I'm joined by my friend and co host, Judy Cho. And this episode is going to be a QA uh, episode. We're going to take all the questions I had asked on my Instagram stories, what questions you had for us, and I kind of gathered them up. There are some that were just really big questions that we're going to use to be an entire episode in the future. So we appreciate those ideas. If it's like a big question, we're, we're going to save that for its own episode. We also got a whole bunch of questions about like poop and digestion. And so I think uh, in the upcoming weeks, we're due for like a refresh on that type of conversation. So we took out all the poop questions for today. Um, we also know I'm not really mature enough to handle it most of the time. So we will wait until I'm in a better mindset to do an entire episode on that specifically. So the ones we're going to cover today, hopefully are, we'll get the, we're going to try to get through as many as we can. And then, um, you know, we can always use them for future ideas uh, on future episodes. So are you ready for this, Judy? Yeah, there's a lot of questions, but let's do it. Yeah, let's see. We'll see how many we can get to. Um, there's no particular order for these. We did right. not sort or organize them. We're just going to kind of give it a go. So The first question that came through was, how do you determine a baseline for how much meat to start with? I think that a lot of people um, hear the concept of like, I eat two pounds of meat or three pounds of meat. And they're wondering like, how many pounds of meat should I eat in a day? Um, So what are your thoughts around that, Judy? Generally, I recommend my clients eat about 0.8 grams to one pound of protein. So if you weigh 100 pounds, then at least 80 grams of protein to 100 grams of protein, and that's within a meat. So I think 80 grams is in one pound of ribeye, if I'm not mistaken. But 
that's a general guideline. A lot of men I've noticed will eat more than that. Um, some women that are more active will eat more than that. Uh, I think older people need to eat a little bit more than more than that. But then I also think that you should trust your body and just how you're doing. So how's your sleep? How's your mood? How's your stools with um, that level of meat consumption? Yeah. And I think just a general, like two pounds of meat, isn't a good measurement because of the fact that two pounds of ground beef is not nearly the same nutritional content calories as like two pounds of ribeye or two pounds of chicken. Right. Those are all so different. I would recommend kind of understanding like how many calories your body needs or, you know, how you feel based on what you're eating uh, and leverage things like those fat to protein that Judy had just mentioned. Unfortunately, it's, you know, I can't just say like, this is how much you should eat. I think you kind of have to start with a certain amount and then keep that consistent for a little while, a week or two, and then see how you feel and make adjustments as needed. So that's how do you determine that baseline? You just got to start with something, stick to it for a few days and see how you feel. And I, I, I wouldn't recommend eating any less than 0.7 grams per one pound of ideal body weight in terms of protein. So that's, again, 70 grams of protein if you're 100 pounds. Um, generally, if you eat too little, then you can start catabolizing your muscle mass. Yeah, and along those lines, somebody had asked, do you, like, do you need more protein if you are going to be physically active or doing a lot of exercise? And absolutely, your body needs to recover from that. Your body needs to help grow those muscles that you're trying to create. The more active you are, you might need more fat as well. So you, any type right. of physical activity that you do, that's really going to leverage things up. And you want to make sure that you're eating adequate um, fat and protein to be able to uh, get that healing from the exercise that you're doing. Yes. Another one along those same lines was how do I increase my protein intake if I've been restricting calories for so long? So, you know, if you've been under eating for so long and you're trying to eat more protein, that can be a really hard thing to feel like you're forcing yourself to eat more. And honestly, that's where I like to leverage in some fat. Like it's easier to eat fat because you're not having to eat as much volume at that time. Um, I know right now the talk in the community is about like high protein, high protein, high protein. I agree with Judy that you do need like 0.8 grams of protein per body weight. Um, but, you know, spreading that out over multiple meals, you don't have to fit that all in one sitting. I think that's also another misconception. Like you really can spread it out over two or three meals if needed, especially at first. But beyond that, you don't have to be eating enough calories in a day from lean protein. Like make sure you're at that 0.8 grams or one. I like one for one ratio for myself personally. So I eat around like 150 grams of protein a day at minimum. Um, but after that, I get my calories that I need in from the fat and I don't worry about getting all of my calories that I need in a day from lean protein. Like I can't eat that much lean protein in one sitting. Maybe the question should have been posed as how do you get in more meat? from restricting calories for so long. But if you're literally speaking of protein and not fat, um, then I would recommend including fat with that uh, question. But you probably want to start really low. I mean, I I was plant-based before carnivore and I couldn't eat a lot of meat in one sitting. I tried to do OMAD. That was a huge mistake for me, but I did that for a year, give or take, and I would feel like hypoglycemic effects. Um, I think that the best way to start really introducing your digestive system as well as your general hormones for satiety and wellness is to take smaller meals. And I just interviewed with a protein specialist and he says that 
the most that our bodies can benefit from in terms of protein in one sitting is about 40 grams of protein. So you don't even really want to do a lot of protein in one meal, you may want to just space it out and have like three or four meals a day. And that will probably help with the uh, restriction of calories you've done for so long. Yeah, I think sometimes we expect to get to the final way that we're going to eat. Maybe it's OMAD or TUMAD or whatever it is. And like the exact amount of protein and these perfect macros overnight is not like we don't need to be making these drastic swings to get where we need to go. You do need to increase your protein. It doesn't mean you have to go from like where you are now to the exact number you're supposed to be at overnight. you got to make small changes to that. Um, you can't just the next day start forcing yourself to eat an extra hundred grams of protein. Right. Cause honestly, you're probably going to end up getting sick at that point. And just then it's going to be more mentally hard and physically hard to stick to it. Yeah. And when you eat lean protein, uh, it, it pulls more water in your gut, your small and large intestine. And so you will have uh, different bowel movements as well. If you just stick to lean protein as well. So you, that's where I think adding a little bit of fat would be beneficial, but you have to figure out what makes sense for you, but you start slow. That's always the ideal way to go. Yeah. This is an interesting one uh, where somebody says, um, when I eat carnivore, I always stay in ketosis, which is side note for me. Like that's a good thing. It's not necessary. Sometimes I do. Sometimes I don't. Right. But then they mentioned if I eat keto foods with a very low net carbs, it throws me right out of ketosis. Do you know why things with low net carbs do that? Um, I mean, packaging, there's the magic that happens in the packaging with the sugar alcohols and the fiber. So something can say that it's like 24 grams of net carbs or total carbs, but then there's, you know, 16 grams of fiber and then there's, or maybe 16 grams of sugar alcohol and then another six grams of fiber. And so then you're left with like, we know I suck at math, but like four, (laughs) you know, four, four net carbs. That doesn't take away from the fact that like some people's body, especially if you're metabolically damaged, don't react to those sugar alcohols uh, in that way. And it still is going to spike your blood sugar and your insulin levels. Um, And that fiber is definitely going to wreck your system for me, especially like those things would absolutely throw me out of ketosis as well. Now, at the end of the day, does that matter? I don't know, but I certainly wouldn't be trusting net carb magic on a packaging label. Well, and the other thing is it depends on the sweetener that they're using that then allows them to use a net carb. So for example, sorbitol converts to fructose in the system. If you consume maltitol, I think that actually raises your blood sugar higher than regular uh, table sugar. So that also has an impact. But just like Laura said, it really, um, that magic of how they come up with the net carbs, it's a lot of practitioners will actually just use the total carbs, even if there is a lot of fiber, especially when they're using added sweeteners and stuff. We just don't know how it impacts every single person. And for you, the fact that it is throwing you out of ketosis is showing that it probably has a lot more carbs. And I would actually measure your glucose levels. Yeah, that's a good idea. Uh, best ways to recover from a binge eating episode. So we talked about binge eating and just um, getting back on. I guess the diet train and just picking ourselves back up when things get hard. So we will link to those episodes in the show notes. But um, honestly, it's just get back to eating the way you were. That's as simply put, like no magic tricks, no supplements, no fasting, just eat as much to stop, especially stop the carbohydrate consumption. 
Yeah. And I, it's just making it through one day. It's just saying like one day I'm going to eat meat. I'm going to make good choices today and trying to make it through that one single day. And then being able to uh, kind of do that and put together more and more one days. But I agree with Judy. We shouldn't be like having a grand reset challenge. I don't need to like cut out all my dairy and all my, you know, sweeteners. And I don't need to like have this grand reset because it feels like such a big emotional challenge, overwhelming incident. I think you really just need to like make it through one day of not eating carbs and sugar and not binging. And then you can kind of build on that. Yeah. Okay. The Along next- those lines, sorry, somebody said, uh, you know, kind of about like uh, diet soda, sugar-free mints. What are your thoughts? I have thoughts, Judy. What are your thoughts? Wait, what was the question? Di- diet soda? <laughs> diet soda, sugar-free mints, uh, things like that. Sugar-free gum. I'm adding that to what they've asked, but sure. sugar-free gum, things like that. I think it depends. For some people, the sweeteners can affect their gut health. It can make it more permeable. There's some studies that show that. There's some studies that show even if glucose doesn't rise through these sweet sweetened foods, that eventually your insulin will rise. But the real life is it really depends. Ideally, drinking just water is ideal. But if diet soda allows you to stay consistently carnivore, then diet soda may be okay. And you want to also check your blood work. You want to check your glucose and ketones to make sure you're feeling good. And then also your mood, stool, energy, that type of stuff. Occasionally, I'll have some sugar-free mints. Um, If I ever feel that my energy is low because I'm constantly eating them, then I won't eat them. So it really really depends on your needs and then also if it's allowing you to stick to it. Yeah, and look at the dosage of what you're doing with those things. Like if you're having a pack of sugar-free gum a day because you're trying to just like chop away your cravings, like it's not a good successful long-term option for you. But if one piece of sugar-free gum after your meal a day is causing you to not crave desserts, then maybe that's a good bridge for you or a good option for you. You know, in the beginning, my replacement for uh, a pint of ice cream was a Diet Coke. Um, But another question somebody asked was, I'm still craving sweets on mainly a carnivore diet tips, please. So for me, there's two camps in this. It might be that whatever, because they said mainly carnivore, So it's possible that whatever you're having that's not carnivore, those sweeteners, those other things, the sugar-free gums, maybe those are causing cravings. Right. But also maybe those are, I mean, you have, that's where you have to decide. There is a camp of people who think that like you have to cut out all sweeteners, everything that's a sweet taste. You can't use sweet toothpaste. You can't have any, you know, sweeteners, nothing whatsoever. And then as soon as you eliminate all of those things, all of your cravings will go away. And that works for people, for some people. It does not work for me. Uh, I have tried that. I have gone times without it. I have been as perfect, as perfect, as perfect can be. And like my brain still thinks about those foods. And so I have found that it doesn't really matter to me. If I want to have a piece of sugar-free gum as a replacement for a dessert, if I eat a bunch of like garlic steak, I'm fine having that gum. It doesn't cause or take away from my cravings. I think you can go for a time without it and see, um, but you know, you have that, that, you just got to play around with it yourself at those first. If you're still having sweets though, mainly on carnivore, you might be needing to eat more fat, I think, or for somebody like me, you just have to find other ways to get an outlet for those things, find a distraction, find a a way to kind of replace those things because my brain isn't going to stop thinking about it. I guess it's not torture anymore. I can handle not having it, but you know, I have to find a way to kind of redirect myself. 
Yeah, I really think this comes down to knowing yourself. Assuming that the sugar-free mints and the diet sodas don't really raise your glucose allows you to still be in ketosis, which many of them do still do that. Then it's if it's just a mental struggle, then it really depends on you. When I first started, I don't know if it was keto or carnivore, but I would eat, I would chew up a piece of gum and then it would become two packs of gum. And I noticed then I would just constantly chew and then my blood sugar would even go up because I was getting a bunch of sugar alcohols and I don't have that issue anymore. So I could do the piece of gum and it's a non-issue, but back then I couldn't do it because that sugar-free gum and the diet soda were triggers. And now I can have a diet soda once in a while, not a big deal. So I, I really think it depends on the person. When I first started, I could never have done those. And I had to go really, really cold Turkey without any sweeteners. Um, it was hard, but I tried the things that Laura used as bridges. And for me, it was a gateway to binging or eating other foods. Now, if I eat those things or even full sugar things, um, very small amounts, it does not trigger me. So I attribute that to healing, but it's really knowing yourself. If you know that a piece of gum can actually trigger the sweet cravings to then want to eat other things and binge, then that gum is probably not right for you. And then like Laura said, with the craving of the sweets, um, my first thing would be fuel on fat, Um, eat enough fat in a meal that you are very full. And so I would wonder if you're still craving sweets after that, because usually it's not the case. Yeah. And I think some of the high, you know, if we're eating super high protein and we're worried about like being lean and losing weight and we're not getting enough fat in that can cause some hormone issues and also some increase in cravings as well. Um, so somebody asked kind of along those same lines, um, do you, is there absolutely no moment in your life you want ice cream or something sweet? Yeah, I, of course, (laughs) absolutely. I still do. I also just know that like the same way, uh, you know, a drug addict can't, would still think about those things and want those things. Like I can't handle those things and I can't eat those things. Um, so I I think that's kind of what keeps me from having it. I still watch a movie and I watch people smoke in that movie. And I'm like, oh man, a cigarette would be so good. I haven't had a cigarette in like 10 years, but you know, it was a college thing that I did, but I still get those moments every once in a while. I just simply know that I can't handle it and that I can't have like some ice cream as a treat or have a little taste of something sweet and then go back to what I was doing before. That one bite is absolute torture for me when if I have none, Really within a short amount of time, the craving passes and I move on and I get over it. What's interesting for me is that I was a true abstainer. So, I mean, even diet soda would cause me to end up binging. And what's weird now is that I can moderate. I I can't say that I can order a, a cup of ice cream and then be fine. I don't, I've never done that. But if my kids are, let's say they're at a yoga shop and I decided just have a small bite or sample, I can do that now and it's not a big deal, but it's taking me five years to get here. So, and being a beacon of hope for my clients, that also kind of puts the pressure on me to be a good example. So maybe that's some of that as well. If maybe I was just a Joe Schmo, maybe that ice cream would uh, precipitate into me eating a bunch of ice creams. I don't know. But for me, it's, um, I've healed a lot where if I want some, but the fact that now I know I can kind of moderate, I don't crave it as much, I'd say. Yeah, definitely. Okay, so the next one is if you're getting sick, you can't take medicine that contains sugar or alcohol. What do you do? Um, I 
I assume they're talking about like Dayquil or Nyquil, yeah. like some kind of cough medicine that might have like an alcohol or a sugar in it. Yeah. So I would recommend taking the naturopathic medications, but it's, it's kind of, I, I'm pausing a little bit because most of the carnivores I work with, they don't really get the common cold and stuff. So they don't really need to take medicine that has sugar or alcohol. Yeah. I know sometimes people are wondering about like other medications, but the, the, the medicines with sugar and alcohol tend to be like the over the counter cough and right. cough medicines and stuff. So I would you know, suggest going through other options. Yeah. Yeah. I would try to get the pill form instead, instead of the um, liquid form. And I know some of the capsules have a little bit, but I don't think it's enough to move the needle that much. But generally speaking, I think if you do a carnivore diet long-term, you rarely ever have to take, I guess, medicines with sugar or alcohol. Yeah. Okay. In the beginning, if friends invited you over and they cooked a carby casserole, what do you do? I would have probably found out what they were serving before I went. I would have just called and said like, Hey, we're so excited to come to dinner tomorrow night. Like, what are you guys having? And then I would say, Oh, I would love it. If can I bring, can I bring some food as well? And, you know, ask to contribute and say like, Hey, I'm just, you know, if it's at somebody else's house, I would definitely offer to bring something or can I help, um, and do that. But I, if it's at my house, obviously I can control that. And then I have people bring their own sides, but I would be open enough to say like, Hey, I'm, you know, dealing with some like health stuff right now. Can I, I'm dealing with a few allergies and I'm trying to just like check on myself. Can I bring some food or like, I would just bring my own food, like offer to bring a side of some kind, um, maybe eat before I go and then eat a little bit of what I have. Also, I've said this, you know, I think we've talked about this before. Like I would put a little bit of their food, like maybe on my plate and then not even just mm -hmm. touch it. Like, are they really going to notice if it's not even touch, but it would depend at that point, like how well do I know them or not? How comfortable are they? Um, are me, how much do I want to talk about it? That's the other thing. If I don't want to bring it up, cause I think in the beginning, sometimes it's nice not to bring up that you're eating this way. Um, then, you know, maybe I wouldn't say anything and just kind of pretend, but if I don't mind talking about it, I'll just say like, Hey, I'm doing this like super low carb thing. Can I bring something to contribute to the meal as well? So if your friend, let's say the dinner was only, or let's say the meal was only with you and it's your friend that's making the carby casserole and it's you, you would call them and ask them if they're making carby casserole. So how would you do it if it's just me and you? Oh, like if you, if I was coming over to your house, yeah. you're like, Oh, I'm so excited to hang out. Judy, like, what are we going to eat? What can I bring? Can I, what mm -hmm. are you making? Can I bring something to go along with it? And you'd be like, oh, I'm making this pasta roni that my grandmother's recipe. And be like, oh, you know what? So can I bring some? How about I bring some chicken to go with that? That sounds good. And then I would just bring my own chicken. Or like, I have this new chicken recipe that I'm going to try out. Like, how about I bring that to go along with dinner? And then we'll have that. Yeah. I if it was, I mean, it depends. Like, especially the more individual it is, the more I would feel bold just saying like, oh, I like, I'm doing this like low carb thing right now and I'm, I can't have it. Like, um, if it's an individual level and if it's a huge group of people, it's almost even easier because nobody's going to notice what I'm doing right. and what I'm not doing. I think the operative word for this question is the fact that it says beginning. I know for me, if I ever yeah. in the beginning were to eat a carby casserole, that would totally have me spiral. So oh, yeah. if anything, in the beginning, I would be stricter than ever. And I would say it's a medical condition or something. And then, yeah, maybe you just have to check in earlier. If it's just you two, then you tell your friend that, hey, I have sort of dietary restrictions for now. Um, and then just kind of leave it at that. 
I travel so much for my job and I'm lately, I've been doing a lot more like client meetings where like somebody else picks a restaurant that I can go to. And like this agency schedules those dinners for me. And so they're kind of like, they tend to just email them and say like, Hey, you know, um, as you're picking restaurants, just be aware we have a keto restriction. So if you could pick something that would be like low carb friendly, that'd be helpful. And then I can figure something out within that. I don't need to like go into my whole explanation of being carnivore or whatever, but I'm totally with you. I, as, as sad as it is to say, like, I wouldn't have eaten it no matter what, I yeah, guess that's, that's my non-negotiable, but like how I went about doing that, obviously it would try to be in a way that's like kind and polite, you know? Yeah. So what would you do then for like birthdays and holidays instead of having cake or sugary treats? Like what would be a way that you would handle that? For my particular birthday, I just get meat. And, um, but with my kids, the first couple birthdays, same thing, we would just have meat or we would, I would do like keto cakes, but lately I've just been giving them normal cakes that you could get at the store Yeah, and it's just giving them small amounts. But, um, but again, it, it depends on your situation. So now if I were to have a cake, it probably is not as big of an issue although I haven't really had a full slice of cake, but I'm assuming it'll be okay. For me, it's not the addiction side at this point. It's more of how am I going to feel the next day? Because I definitely notice like the sluggishness and stuff and that part I don't like. So um, I I really think it depends. But I, if you're new to this and you're still struggling, whether it's metabolic syndrome or psychological relationships with food, um, I would, this would be a hard no. And I still have the addiction element in it. Like I know I couldn't have like a couple bites of cake on a kid's birthday or something. And like, while my kids can handle that, like I certainly can't for any type of holiday or birthdays or special occasions, we pretty much just do like expensive meat or like fancier meat. We do like some crab legs on Christmas is our go-to, or we'll do like a, you know, a really marbled expensive steak for my birthday, or we'll go, you know, go somewhere. We always pull out like the fancy cheese or like some kind of extra. So I still feel like it's a special occasion. I'm having a meat that I wouldn't normally eat. I'm having like an experience I wouldn't normally have. It still feels very special and elegant and and luxurious, but it's not actual carbs or sugar. Uh, I mean, I've stick a candle in my beef of some kind every year, and that's probably what will continue to happen for me. Yes. I think me too. Yeah. So you just went on vacation. You guys went to uh, Costa Rica. So this question is uh, applicable for you. But if you were to travel abroad for a vacation, would you eat the cultural foods or would you stay carnivore? So I mostly stay carnivore, although I don't say, I mean, I say that I'm not 100% carnivore anymore. But so in Costa Rica, for example, Kevin went to this chocolate shop. I even forgot what they're called, but a fancy chocolate shop. They make their own chocolate with the cocoa beans. And so he wanted me to try a piece. And I tried literally like a less than a size of a piece of my pinky fingernail. And I was like, Oh, yeah, it's it's fine. But that was it. But there were there was a lot of fruits there. And I didn't have a single piece. I, I think I generally don't like fruits. And that's why but you know, our family, they tried a variety of the different uh, fruits there because it's a tropical place. But they didn't have a lot of it. So we had in total one small watermelon, one mango, like one banana or one plantain, but it wasn't a lot. Um, and so that's how our family does it, especially my kids who are a lot more flexible than me. And then I just ate a variety of meat and cheeses. Like that's what I do. So I'll always go to the grocery store and see 
what cheeses do they have that I don't normally see in the States. And that's how I kind of eat. But generally, I stay, um, I don't really change up my diet no matter where I go. I, I will try a very small piece. Food has never been an exciting piece to me. I think it's probably because I st- struggled with an eating disorder. So there is no joy for me generally. And I know some people will think that's sad, but there's no, the needle doesn't move much for me when it's, when it's trying different kinds of foods that are not carnivore. Yeah. I, I uh, haven't been abroad but since we've been doing all this, but I've been on a lot of vacations and I definitely stay strict. Chris and I have our first ever vacation that we are taking by ourselves. Like we never even got a honeymoon. I was pregnant with Penelope when we got married. We've never, we've literally never been anywhere together alone without kids. Um, and for the first time ever this summer, we're going to Vegas for a conference. I'm so exciting. <laughs> but um, we were talking last night uh, about like how we were going to eat, what we were going to do and kind of basically planning out our meals because we were like, there's no way that we could have something bad. And then like, we would, it would send us off the rails for the entire week. And like, I was joking with Chris and I was like, uh, by the end of the week, my clothes that I put in my suitcase wouldn't even fit me anymore if we had something bad on the first day. So like we're planning really special occasion stuff. Like we're going to go to Caesar's buffet and have the kink, all you can eat crab legs. And we're looking up steak restaurants and like, we're finding really awesome ways to experience like, I mean, it's Vegas, but like local cuisine. Right. And so, um, by still sticking to what we're doing. And I think that if we were to go somewhere abroad, there's a lot of really fun, like our dream someday is to go to Brazil and eat all the Brazilian meats. And, you know, I went to Greece in college, you know, and I just remember too, I still remember like a lot of the Greek meats and different, I think there's a way to still experience local cuisine by not having pasta. You can have all kinds of meats and cheeses and, you know, even just relax a little bit. Like Chris and I were even saying like, he's not going to stick to one meal a day while we're there. We're going to kind of just like make some adjustments on how often and how much we eat and really enjoy our experiences. But Boy, if on that first night we go to that buffet and I hit up that dessert table at the buffet, literally my clothes would not fit by the end of the week. So I know that's not an option for me. Yeah. And I think the bigger thing is it's just we don't I I find it so ironic that people on vacation, they say I'm on vacation, so I'm going to eat whatever I want. And I totally understand that mentality. But immediately you feel worse the next day and it makes you feel more sluggish and you don't want to do more things and you don't want to be as active. And so my dad came with us to Costa Rica and he definitely has the mindset of, Oh, on vacation, I can kind of eat what I want. And so we put a CGM on him and (laughs) totally limited (laughs) what he was going to do. But because they weren't as tired, we were able to do a lot of physical activities. And I saw the benefits of that. Sure. He had a small piece of my husband's birthday cake, but we threw away half the cake. I mean, no one ate it and and I didn't touch it because I didn't want to risk feeling lethargic or, Um, or just even get in a bad headspace. So for me, at least, it's not really worth trying these other foods. And there's always meats and cheeses and eggs and other foods you could try at at the place that you visit. And um, I don't think it always has to be around carbohydrates. Yeah, you just have to know yourself and kind of what you can handle. Yeah. Um, okay. So we answered a lot of emotional questions, I guess. Let's get into more of like some specific science healing or like more factual questions. Um, can a person heal from candida with carnivore and then add foods back in and still have the candida gone? Like, do you actually clear that out? Or when you add foods back in, does it cause a flare up? 
Yes. So it depends on the food that you're eating. If candida is truly because of a yeast infection or not a yeast infection, if the candida is truly because of a fungal overgrowth or you've been feeding too much sugary foods or starches, and that is feeding your candida, then yes, on a carnivore diet, it can go away. If on a carnivore diet, even after two years, you still have candida-like symptoms, I would look deeper as there are other illnesses that can cause candida to still thrive, even without eating these sugary foods such as mold. Um, But in terms of adding in foods, uh, I think if you add some fruits and you've been eating pretty clean, I don't think your candida will come back. It really depends on your susceptibility and also what triggered your candida in the past. Are you naturally just genetically wired where a certain amount of carbs will cause the candida. It really depends. And so I would, if anything, if you are trying to add back in foods, especially foods that can feed your candida, I would go really slow and then see where's my tolerance until I start feeling kind of these yeasty symptoms. Yeah, that's good. Even just not like going again, you don't have to go extreme overnight of adding them all back in, but it's like small amounts or one at a time and making small adjustments Um, along those lines, somebody had asked, I've been on carnivore for six months. How do I start incorporating new foods? I think the best way is if they read your book, the carnivore (laughs) cure, where that talks about how to add foods in, which ones are the best. But like, if do you have any other advice for them besides just like go buy your book? Uh, go really slow. Um, I hate, by the way, this is a side note, my, our real talk of cutting against, I hate when people are like, that answer is in the book. So go check it out. (laughs) So I, 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 I hate leaving it as that. But um, the best thing is, yes, there are safer plants to add. I think it's really individual. So I have like a 10 item list there, but that may not be the safest foods for everybody. They're mostly leafy green vegetables. So I'll just give you guys that. But the best thing to do is to incorporate one food at a time, very, very small doses and do it three time, three days in a row and see if you have any stool issues, mood issues, sleep issues, etc. And see are you reacting normally? A little bloat is very normal eating vegetables, but maybe you start with half a cup of steamed broccoli and then you just eat that for lunch. How do you feel? Are you having, do you have to run to the bathroom and you do that and then you try it like another half a cup at dinner. And then maybe the next day at lunch, you do three quarters of a cup and you keep adding it until you notice, are you getting any hives? Are you having any really bad reactions? And then you decide if you're gonna leave that in or not. And let's say the broccoli is safe. So then three days later, you can add in another food. And I know it's very long and cumbersome to do it that way, but it's probably the best way and most knowledgeable way to reintroduce foods. Yeah, going from like straight carnivore to like, oh, I'm going to have this keto cookie with almond flour and tons of sweeteners and eight different ingredients in it is not really going to be that helpful for you identifying like which of the things in that are causing you issues um, versus where you're at with carnivore. Right. Yeah. Um, can carnivore help with visceral fat loss? Um, so I recently interviewed Dr. Sean O'Mara. He's all about visceral fat loss and he does these like, um, MRIs and CAT scans for how much visceral fat you have. And his number one recommendation is to do sprinting. So I guess something about sprinting helps to reduce that visceral fat, but the other thing is to remove all processed carbs. So does carnivore help with visceral fat loss? Absolutely. Uh, If you notice just your stomach is decreasing in size, there's a good chance you're losing that visceral fat. And really the, the, he said the biggest reasons for visceral fat is carbohydrates, especially processed ones. Um, And even he brought up 
I think you brought up nut butters, honey, those can also cause visceral fat, but that'll depend on the person. But really the goal is um, if you stick to, for him, I think he eats all meat plus some uh, fermented veggies. But other than that, he doesn't eat anything else. And he has lost almost all of his visceral fat he had several years prior. And, but I think it's like you said, though, there's at some point where diet alone, same thing with like drastically reducing your blood sugar. If you have chronically high blood sugar, you've been type two diabetic, you might have to incorporate some fasting or some yeah. exercise to like burn off that stored sugar, like deep in your liver. And then also the stored visceral fat, like there has to be something to burn it out. And it can't just be like going to a baseline of some kind, you have to like put your body through something to cause it to release. Yeah, I agree. So if you are eating carn, let, let me kind of justify that. Um, if you are eating carnivore and eating way more calories than your body needs, um, or you're eating, you're snacking throughout the day and you're eating cheese and jerkies 24 seven while you're awake and you're like, Hey, it's safe. It's carnivore. I don't need a fast. People say you don't need a fast on carnivore and you're eating from basically sun up to sundown and then having snacks and it's all hundred percent carnivore, you could still have visceral fat. And it's the overarching reason is because you're eating way excess calories than you need. And you're probably, if you were insulin resistant before starting carnivore, eating that level of amount of food uh, and constantly feeding your body, uh, you will keep your insulin high enough that you may not reduce that fat um, as much as you'd like. Yeah, that makes sense. The next question is if cortisol is high, will a 24 hour fast here and there be too much? Um, I think this really depends again, if your cortisol is really high to measure, uh, hard to measure. So if you're just doing the cortisol that you do in blood work, that's not always super accurate. If you do the saliva test where you measure multiple times a day, that may be better. I think what really matters is how much you're eating on the non fasting part. So if you're eating, let's say your requirement is 2000 calories. So if you're eating 2000 calories, making sure you're eating enough fat and then you and then you add in the 24 hour fast, it may be okay here and there. I'm guessing maybe you could do that. I don't know if you're saying that's OMAD or if it's beyond OMAD, but they were, I think that just means like, uh, well, it could be like somebody eats breakfast and lunch and then does a 24 hour fast and eats like lunch and dinner. So it doesn't necessarily have okay. to be OMAD, but basically you are skipping from like, you know, lunch to lunch. Yeah. I think the biggest thing is what you're eating between the fast. I think that would be my overarching thing. And then also what is causing your cortisol to be high. And that's something that you should look into. Your cortisol can be low in the morning when it should be high, and then it could be high in the evening when it should be low. So I'm not really sure what you mean by cortisol is high, but if it's imbalanced, generally you should figure out what's causing that imbalance. A lot of times it's high stress um, and it's not eating the right foods for your body. And I think with any type of fasting at all, eating enough when you're not fasting is crucial because like under eating plus fasting is a pretty wicked combination. And it's like fast tracking you to having some uh, definite, definite like hormone metabolism, like overall issues. Agree. So Judy, how long, here's the next question. How long does it take to heal your gut? And like we say in everything, it's, it depends. I think the more, chronic illnesses like ulcerative colitis, SIBO, H. pylori, they take longer. And it depends on, I hate to say this, but it depends on how clean your diet is and then how how regimented you are in your supplement protocol to do that healing. I know that there are people on the internet that say you do not need supplements for SIBO or you do not need supplements for H. pylori or 
any some other illnesses of the gut. And that is just I have never seen healing without some type of protocol other than that. So I'm here's the thing, if your gut is not breaking down your food, so you don't have enough hydrochloric acid or stomach acid to break down your nutrients, and then absorb it in your small intestine, if your small intestine is kind of leaky, or it's not functioning well, how would any amount of meat be able to be absorbed and really assimilated, um, it will do better than any type of vegetable that's true. But at some point, you still need gut supports. And that's why there's a lot of carnivores, surprisingly, that are still deficient in B vitamins, even though meat is rich in B vitamins. And mm. gut healing is needed. It's not that carnivore will heal all of it. If you have small gut issues like loose stool sometimes, uh, burping and that kind of stuff, yes, you can do good with just carnivore. Usually maybe just taking a little bit of HCL in the beginning might help. But generally, from their gut supports may be needed. And then and then it depends. Um, some people can heal within three months. Um, I've seen chronic diarrhea go away within a month of targeted supplements. But some people, it takes six months. And then some people, with six months of healing, they'll do another stool test. And then they may have other things that have come up. Or it could also even be something like uh, SIRS, which can cause leaky gut as well. So it depends. Yeah, and- we did a full episode on that recently. So if you're still yeah. having a lot of gut issues and it's been a while and you've tried all the things, like go back and listen to that episode. Uh, and I think that will help you. Yeah. And the core thing for that is you, you need to be honest with yourself that again, you've been eating a really clean diet. You haven't been under eating and that you've been taking the necessary digestive enzymes or HCL or digestive bitters that you need to support your gut as well. Um. So this is one I think just because you offer this service. So who do I consult? Uh, who do I consult about my blood work since my primary care doctor is not open-minded? Yeah, so I provide um, all LabCorp blood work, and uh, we do provide invoices for insurance. I don't know if all insurance takes it, but we provide it at least so that you can use me as an out-of-network provider. And and in our blood work, we really measure all the markers that everyone on the internet is scared of when it comes to keto and carnivore. So it will test all your thyroid, your thyroid antibodies, it'll test all different kinds of cholesterol, it'll test different kinds of inflammation, blood glucose, A1C, C peptide. And then so we will also get a we'll get the report from the lab. And then I also on top of that, write my own write up for you that will recommend based on these things, you may want to try these supplements, or you may want to try to increase your nutrition in this way. But so you will get very, very detailed information with your blood work so that you understand every single marker and what exactly it means. But if you also have a service too, that if somebody already oh, yeah. got their blood work done, then you'll read that blood work, right? For a, a yes. smaller charge, like even yes. if they don't get it through you, they didn't get the answers they wanted from a doctor. They could just send you their blood work and, and you have people that review that. Yeah. So I would review the blood work and then do a similar um, analysis. Okay, cool. And if there are markers missing, which most providers do not measure all the things I measure, then I will say, make sure next time to get XYZ blood work as well. Cool. Um, and you often talk, it says the next question is if I'm having muscle cramps on carnivore, could it not be enough salt? It could be, but talk to us about magnesium, which tends to be it, right? Yeah. So muscle cramps can be related to just a mineral imbalance. It could be salt. Um, I know there are people that are sensitive to salt and I, there are markers now that I know that you can test for blood work. Um, I think one is ADH and then the other one is osmolality and those also balance your 
um, your mineral level. So if those markers are off, it could be something more root cause than just um, a mineral imbalance. But I would start with salt. If salt is like if you did sole water in the morning and it affects you, you like you don't feel well on it, like you're feeling swelling in your ankles or something, then maybe that's too much for you. And then you want to try magnesium. I like magnesium topical because it absorbs much faster. It goes straight to the blood instead of having to be digested. And then you can take in addition, uh, magnesium as supplementation, the uh, general recommendation for magnesium is five times your weight. So if I weigh 100 pounds, the the magnesium amount that I should get is about 500 milligrams. And that's not just supplementation. So that kind of includes your food. So I always hedge and recommend a little bit less. So if I was 100 and I was eating meat, I would say maybe three to 400 milligrams of magnesium. I keep a the spray bottle that you recommend mm-hmm. of the topical magnesium spray in my ni- bedside nightside table, because if I am going to get like a foot cramp or a leg cramp, it always happens in the middle of the night. And so I yeah. can just like grab it and spray. I will say though, that if I find myself getting leg cramps in the middle of the night, it's because I'm under eating. I'll look back mm-hmm. and say like, Oh man, I only ate one meal yesterday and it definitely wasn't enough to sustain me. And like now I'm getting leg cramps. And so it's usually especially if that happens like two days in a row where I was like fasting, plus I under ate like a hundred percent, I'm going to start getting leg and foot cramps. And so anytime I'm like, find myself using that topical magnesium spray because of leg cramps, I have to kind of do a reality check to say you're under eating uh, and make sure that I'm getting adequate food in. Yeah. And one of the reasons why that may also happen is just because when you're under eating, um, you're eating less minerals. And so that's why it can actually be that. So it it goes hand in hand. Um, I think that long-term it shouldn't be happening, but you're right. Once in a blue moon, I'll get a muscle cramp and it might just be that, uh, like if you're having only one meal, you're also getting less salt too. And then less magnesium as well. Oh, we know I salt everything. The internet (laughs) knows I put a lot of salt on everything. So if I'm under eating or I'm fasting, it's definitely, I'm getting much uh, Mm -hmm. less salt than normal. Interesting. The other thing to consider is potassium. So potassium is also a mineral that goes away really quickly. If magnesium and sodium is not really working, I mean, at that point, I think you should do a hair mineral test. But if you don't want to do a test, you can always try maybe like 300 milligrams of potassium in the morning and then just do the magnesium in the evening. If you're getting leg cramps, even six months into carnivore, I would start testing because it shouldn't last that long. And I I mean that it's happening consistently. Yeah. Okay, so the next question is how to fix hypothyroidism without medication. It really depends. Uh, if it's just low functioning thyroid, supporting the endocrine system, which is all your hormones, your adrenals is really important, making sure you're eating enough fat, fat supports your endocrine system, like your steroid hormones, cholesterol, all of the sex hormones, and all of that is connected to your thyroid. And so thyroid needs iodine, um, protein, and then some of the other minerals. So you just want to make sure that you're eating sufficiently. A well-rounded carnivore diet should be able to support hypothyroid symptoms that are truly caused from under eating and constant stress. If it's Hashimoto's where it's an autoimmune illness type of hypothyroid, the question is what caused that autoimmune? I would do some gut supports as all autoimmune starts with the gut. So I would look into that. But generally speaking, hypothyroid can be supported with a very balanced or a meat-based diet that's very targeted. And then in terms of the medications, it depends. So if you've been hypothyroid for a very long time and you take medication for decades, you may never be able to fully get off all the medication. You can absolutely get on the lowest dose on carnivore. I've seen that. But I've seen some people 
get off all of the thyroid medication on carnivore and it didn't do as well for them. So then they went back on a little bit and then they did better. So depending on how long your thyroid has been imbalanced, that'll depend. And then if you are just diagnosing with hypothyroid now and you haven't been on meds, I would see if you can try to do the diet, sometimes taking like pituitary hypothalamus glandulars, that's uh, glands or organs from the animal in supplement form. Um, that may sometimes help making sure you're getting enough minerals. Those are all really important things. And then see if that will help before you try medications, but always work with your doctor as this is not medical. advice. <laughs> um, uh, okay. We're going to wrap up here in a second. We got a time for a couple more. Um, Judy, what are your thoughts on adrenal fatigue? Does carnivore heal that? And then I'm going to, that was what they asked. My question is like, how do you diagnose adrenal fatigue? Because it is one of those things that like I hear people talk about all the time, but sometimes it sounds mm -hmm. like woo woo. And like, how do you like diagnose right. it? Um, and then what are your thoughts in general and how, how about carnivore in that? So they've actually debunked adrenal fatigue. It does not exist. Um, there's people that have learned about nutritional wellness a while ago that still believe adrenal fatigue, but really what it is, is your body's just your hormones aren't functioning as well. They're not maybe um, producing as much of the hormones and you're just always tired and stressed. And I mean, it could be other underlying issues. It's not that you're literally your adrenals are now tired, so they're not functioning as well. They can be imbalanced. Um, but yeah, the whole thought on adrenal fatigue no longer exists. But what you can do again is just like I talked about with thyroid, you want to support your endocrine system. And the first way to support endocrine system, which is all your hormones, your thyroid, your adrenals, is by eating a diet that is not high in sugar. The more that you eat high glucose foods that then raise your blood sugar and cause the imbalances of sugar and insulin, then your adrenals have to come in and support that balance to ensure that you're surviving another day. So the adrenals will pu uh, put out epinephrine, it'll pull out adrenaline, it'll pull out uh, cortisol. And the more you use that, the more that the body will then get depleted of nutrients and other hormones, and it won't support your sex hormones or your thyroid. Instead, it's going to focus on just producing that cortisol. So what ideally you want to do is reduce stressors in your life and then also uh, reduce the sugar that you're consuming. But then when you get on a keto carnivore diet, you need to make sure that you're eating enough. That is the biggest mistake yeah. I see with women is once we don't feel hangry anymore, we try to eat less. And that is a big mistake because that will even exacerbate adrenal quote unquote fatigue even more. And you don't want to mess up your hormones that way. So yes, carnivore can absolutely support that. I've seen it time and time again. I've seen so many people get their period back. I've seen so many people reduce their thyroid medication. The, the question is making sure that you eat enough and that you manage your stressors, you manage your sleep and you make, you're making sure that other things in your life are also balanced. Yeah. I went on somebody else's podcast today and I kind of went on a rant about like women in this space, not eating enough and how everybody's so scared to like, cause the, honestly the high protein trend that's happening right now that a lot of, and then the fasting that's happening on top of it, a lot of people are under eating. And then the only way to like reset that is to just you know, reverse diet almost and like eat extra for a while. Well then I, obviously the scale is going to go up at that point and then people panic and we emotionally, I understand it, but we emotionally can't handle seeing the scale go up in order for us to actually heal. There has to be that reverse dieting element when you've been under eating for so long and it's just this huge, anyway, I don't want a big rant about it when it comes out, I'll share it, but it was just, I think it's one of the biggest problems in the community right now is women under eating. 
Yeah, I had a client recently went on a a nutrient density diet of carnivore. And so she went on really lean meats, uh, mostly, and um, she added some, I guess, fermented foods, but generally was eating mostly meat, and then tracking all the nutrients. And when I tracked her, and she wasn't doing well, so that's why she started working with me. And I told her, you're not eating enough fat. And so when we revamped her, the way she was eating, I had her remove some of the plant toxins and stuff. She immediately said to me, oh my gosh, I forgot how good I felt eating higher fat. Yeah. But then the next email, like I think it was a week or two later, it was, are you sure I'm supposed to be eating this way? Because now I'm like 10 pounds heavier. And and she's already, you know, that that benefit is already forgotten because the weight gain is there. And of course, she was eating a thousand calories, if yeah. that. And now I'm telling her to eat at least 16. Well, what do you think is going to happen? Yeah. And again, it's not like, she went from eating a thousand calories and you're telling her to eat 2,500 calories, right? It's almost like small. It's this doesn't reverse dieting doesn't mean binge and gorge yourself and like force food down. It just means like increase things to a normal range, you know, and you got to, and maybe work your way up, right? You got to work your way up there too. Right. And if your body is used to under eating, it doesn't know what to do with that, um, the excess calories at first. And over time, you have to train your body. And so in that process of training, you are going to gain weight. Right. But eventually, when you get to a weight that's normal, and then you start decreasing your calories from, let's say you eat have to eat 16, but you've been eating 25, then you will start losing the weight. But the problem is a lot of people don't want to go through that process. Right. I can't tell you the number of times I've been like physically going through something and my body either gains weight or just holds on to weight. And I could be, it could be months and I won't lose a pound. And then all of a sudden, like, boom, I lose five pounds in like a week because my body's finally right. ready to release that. But it was only through consistency and like keeping it up that that was able to happen. Yeah, no, it makes sense. All right. We will wrap it up here. Uh, there was one more question that said, uh, which we all love meetups. We love doing them. We're hopefully going to see lots of people at KetoCon, which I think when this comes out, it will be this weekend. I will be flying. Oh, tomorrow. Then I'll be flying all the way to KetoCon. Um, but somebody asked, ever plan on doing a meetup in Canada? And I certainly wish we could, <laughs> but I don't think Judy and I are allowed in Canada currently with the regulations that they have in place. Uh, yeah, so that wouldn't be possible for either one of us. We're not allowed in Canada. Canada doesn't want us. Yep. But maybe one day when hopefully restrictions lift and then maybe we can, but until I think it's literally the only country in the world currently that has a vaccination requirement to come into the country. Do you know that? No, I didn't know that. Um, but I'm not yeah. surprised, but well, all the, all the cruises. So our, we were supposed to go to Alaska this year on a cruise and then, um, Norwegian said every single cruise line uh, is still requiring the vaccine. And so. But I think that's because it's a boat, though. I don't think that's the country requirements. I don't know. Mm. Chris said that. So somebody fact check me. But like, I'm pretty sure that Canada is the only country left with like actual restrictions like that. So anyway, someday. We definitely did not get to all the questions. There was so many. We got to about half of them. There's other ones that are really good for a full episode. We will get to more. We really appreciate just overall uh, the questions in general and um, hope this was helpful. Thanks for listening. Yeah, we'll answer more questions the next time we do a Q&A. Thanks for tuning in to the Cutting Against the Grain podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please make sure to share and leave us a review and leave any comments and questions on Apple Podcasts. We will read and answer your questions and comments on an upcoming podcast episode. 
This also helps us to share our real talk with more community members. You can also find me on my other podcast, Nutrition with Judy, on all podcast channels. You can also follow my content on Nutrition with Judy's Instagram, YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter. You can find Carnivore Cure in paperback, ebook, and audio on Amazon. I also have a blog post and weekly newsletter with nutrition and wellness updates. You can sign up at nutritionwithjudy.com. You can find Laura on Instagram at Laura East Bath. You can follow along on her daily stories and see some of her funny skits. You can also find Laura on her YouTube channel where she shares tips on living a meat-based lifestyle. If you're wondering how much meat to eat in a day, week, or month, Laura has you covered. She also shares how to make a perfect sear on a steak and how extended fasting looks like in real life. You can find her YouTube channel by searching Laura's Bath. Thanks again for listening to the Cutting Against the Grain podcast. And remember, make sure to cut against the grain. Cut against the grain.